You got a new girlfriend now, though? Oh, yeah. I'm seeing somebody pretty awesome. Uh, we've been Good. dating for close to... We've been seeing each other three years. We've been dating officially for two. Um, she's super supportive of what I do. She loves it. She loves being able to come to the shows and see it. So she's awesome. Are you seeing her too, Roger? <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, this is Party Like a Rockstar podcast, and I'm your host, Joel. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese on the market today. They're lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher, perev, and 100% vegan. If you like what you see, check out the next video. If you like this video, please subscribe and like by clicking the little round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or our other guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle is Joel Rohde. If you haven't already read my book, Memoir of a Rohde, it's now available through Amazon and paperback Kindle or as an audiobook. I hope you enjoy the show. I think I'm set. So before we start, I usually do a little prayer vigil with everybody. If you guys are cool with that. I'm cool. I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> I like, I like, hey. <laughs> I want to see so with all these guys. I, I figured somebody would be like, I, I now work with a Christian rock band, so, you know. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, let's get going. Okay. Roger Pugh is currently the LD for Black Veil Brides and Hell Yeah. He's worked for Star Set Collective Soul in this moment, Tesla, Getter, and Queensryche. Ryan Pervola, also known as Perv, is a Baltimore-based lighting designer, programmer, electrician, rigger, and stagehand. He's a local hand for the IATSE Local 19, and he's worked for Guar, Tetrarch, Suicide Boys, and is a resident LD at the Meriwether Post Pavilion. Third guest is David Boykin. He's a lighting designer from San Diego. He owns and operates Boykin Lights Lighting Designs, and he's worked with artists such as Switchfoot, The Beach Boys, Carrie Underwood, Washed Out, and Unwritten Law. I love unwritten law, man. Right, so you, you guys not being, you're neither one of you guys are California natives, right? Just David and I. Nope. Yeah. I live in the He's desert. Boy. Uh, when I was a kid, unwritten law was the shit, man. We would go to their shows a lot. The funny part is when they first called me, they're like, hey, so we're with a small band called Unwritten Law. I was like, you're, you're not small. What are you talking about? Like, you're huge. Everybody <laughs> in that band is very tall right <laughs> i know who you are <laughs> i'm like i know who you are like everybody should know who you are they're cool <laughs> so what's the chemistry with all three of you guys because i'm not seeing the band that's a link that you guys would all know each other well well i mean facebook i think is a common link for a lot of us um so all three of you have bad know. taste and you click on the same shit <laughs> yeah well you know where you know we all seem to be the people who answer all the questions in all the groups so needless to say we all know who each other are through that means i know ryan and i have a few other connections through like you know um recently i uh, had a gig that he had uh i kind of passed it his direction um, with david i don't know david too well however i have to say i have seen you come up pretty fast and i'm impressed oh wow thank you um yeah i i met ryan uh basically on facebook uh and um 
Facebook has been the place to connect with other LDs. It seems like uh, we we tend to um, love and dislike the same things. So it, yeah. it works out perfect. Can we all collectively agree that Chad Olick's posts are awful and we dislike them? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's total dad level humor, but he is the king of memes. It's fucking unbelievable, man, how he finds so much media to spread. And then what's funny, you know, you can't share them. So people will share memes, but then they, you can't share the meme. I'm like, who's this great protector of memes where it's like, no, 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 no. I found that shit myself, you fuckers. I'm not spreading it to the world. <laughs> so I like it. I toyed with chat. So I guess that means I can, I'm allowed to give him shit. Unless he's in person. If I see him, then I'm quiet because he'll kick my ass. <laughs> I, I, think, I think I might be currently like blocked or unfriended by him. Side effect of the whole political nonsense. I was a little bit more active somewhere around 2016. And I think he unfriended me. I've calmed down since, but I don't think we fixed that problem. I did see him, though, outside the Fillmore Detroit like two years ago. Ah, oh, great guy. Fucking cool guy. Oh, yeah. Awesome person. Yeah. So, Ryan, you came through, uh, initially, you came through um, stagehand stuff. So you're working as a local stagehand, which you still do, right? And, yeah. And because of that, you met some people and you ended up doing some tours. Uh, yeah, so I've been doing it for a long time and lighting in particular was something that I had always wanted to kind of get very involved with since I was a kid. It was always been, I feel like the thing that like of all the different departments, that was the one that I was, I was good at. I excelled at and I really wanted to be able to express myself doing it. And the best looking um, guys for sure. Yeah. No, <laughs> but it was, um, I had a lot of my co I've been with my union for about, 11 years now and a lot of the guys that are in my union were very encouraging for me to be able to go out and be like no go go do shows go design because I was the guy that was in our local that would take every console class that would come up and every opportunity to be an L1 or an L2 or an LD I would take it because it's like that's more experience to me to be able to do it so um, I've recently started taking more touring gigs and this year was like my real first busy year doing it so I kind of when COVID hit I kind of made a decision for myself that when things came back, if they came back, like if I got any opportunities to do something, I wasn't going to pass the opportunity up. Cause it was like, I wouldn't know if the world got shut down again. I'd rather like not live with any sort of doubt or regret for not even trying. So. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Did you do any tours as a, as a, as a lighting guy or you were always at the higher end when you started or. No, I was always, um, I was always a local guy. Uh, just I, I got comfortable being a local guy because it was I, I enjoy doing it because I like the idea of being able to wake up every day and then every show and gig I do is completely different so it's always like a new experience and something exciting and when like one of my favorite bands comes around it's like I get to go to a show but I also get to experience it in a, in a unique way um and it wasn't until COVID hit that I kind of started realizing like you know I'm 34 years old i the only thing that I like, I've gotten to do everything that I had set out that I had wanted to do, except being a touring LD or board op. So I said, screw it. Uh, during the downtime, I think I spent every single night during lockdown, just learning as much as I could to be a, like a, a good programmer to be able to do the job. Good for you, and dude. That's I got, cool. I, I just, I, did, I made like a list of songs 
and I created like renders on MA3D and capture to upload as like portfolio work as being like, this is the progress I've made. This is what I've learned doing this. This is what I've learned doing this, this is what I learned doing this. And it ended up uh, getting me work. Uh, and then I worked with Guar for a while and then we did the driving concert and they needed an LD because um, their regular guy was stuck in California. He couldn't fly out because of COVID. So they called me up and they said, Hey, we know we usually use you for like, spew slave or just kind of like an auxiliary guy for whatever do you mind doing lights for us and i did that and it got a lot of coverage because it was like one of the only driving shows going on at the time on the east coast and it got me noticed to do some other gigs and it's gotten me some work hell yeah so then david so and you're like trying to build your enterprise over here man (laughs) you're like collecting gear and getting going and stuff what's the interest in getting all the gear because it I don't know. To me, that's stressful because it changes so often. I mean, Roger, how many different boards have you used at this point? You know, <laughs> well, Man. actually, boards. That's the one thing I do say is not a bad thing to invest in. They pay for themselves. Oh, good to know. That right there is very true. That the consoles themselves pay for themselves. Um, luckily, the the lighting that I've bought has actually paid for itself. It paid for itself within like two months so i got really lucky there but um i yeah originally didn't really fast yeah i originally didn't want to own gear i i thought that was just way out of what i wanted to do with my career um and then covid hit and i was getting hit up up by a lot of really small bands who just wanted light shows uh good light shows without having to pay thousands of dollars and I looked at it as I could get some lighting and uh, rent it out at a cheaper price than the big guys just for small bands so um, right now my lights are basically going out to small bands and small uh, DJs so you're uh, guys who equipment though yourself yeah because the small bands are notorious for just trashing your shit <laughs> uh yeah i normally set them up um uh and then i have an- another uh friend who actually rents uh them out as well and he goes and does the small like warehouse raves so so far nothing's been destroyed i'm i'm hoping it stays that way but if they get destroyed, I'm, I'm to the point where I'm like, well, they paid themselves off, so it's okay. <laughs> it's good spirit about it. Uh, Roger, you got any bad things to tell me about Marcus Rafferty or Peking? Uh, we only sure. have an hour. <laughs> I'm sure I can come with you for Peking. Mark, Marcus wasn't with Hell Yeah by the time I got there, and uh, I've only interacted with him in real life a handful of times, and mostly it was he was performing with, I think it's Fall of Humanity. You know, and we'd be on the same building somewhere. But but I got a few stories about Peking. Most of them I can't tell. Oh. Why? Because David's here? <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you, the man could never center a drum riser when we were working together. My lights always had a tiny tilt to one side. <laughs> i've been guilty of it i mean i've been guilty where you look at the backdrop and it's kind of like so sit with me here at front of house and be like so did you see something off i'll be like yeah the thing's hanging all the way over there you know but eventually uh, after a while he was totally doing it on purpose 
somewhere there's a picture where I wrote on stage very aggressively, peaking, you know, F and center and a big arrow. Yeah. Um, it was all in fun, but yeah. That's always <laughs> he was notorious for messing with me. Uh, always having that off a little bit. So Ryan, what but, kind of, do you got any good stories for the locals? Because I get, I get basically, I, I get a lot of great touring stories. And if you have any that you got to mention, go for it. But is there any like local uh, stuff on the stage where it's like, God, this was hilarious? We had a loadout a couple years ago where um, we, we called it like the worst loadout we had ever done. Not because of the incompetence of the hands, but just everything that seemed to have gone wrong went wrong. Um, it was a Broadway rehearsal run for a show, Dirty, I think it was Dirty Dancing, back in like 2014, and it was an overnight loadout. I was a rigger with three other guys, and were they opening for Megan? Long Megadeth? night. Yeah. Okay, figure. <laughs> um, at one point during it, like it took forever just to get like these deck. This is the first time they ended up putting it together, and I, it it kind of came across like they really didn't know what they were doing with it. So it was taking steep Broadway loadouts take a hell of a lot longer than a concert loadout, and the fire curtain because of more gear. It's it's more gear, but a lot of it is just not nearly as spaced out and as like plug and play as. Like a concert show is like for a concert, it's like you've got these sticks of trust. They've already got lights on them, floating them in the air. Uh, you've got drum risers and stuff like that floating in the air. Everything's mostly flown, whereas on Broadway, you've got all the scenic elements, all the carpentry elements, all the sound elements that are wired into the, the decks and the risers. You've got all the props. You've got all the drapes. You've got it. Like it, there's so many moving parts in this one tiny condensed space. Hmm. and it's just a lot of people kind of overlapping and walking over each other in different departments and Broadway tours have kind of gotten more into like hanging electrics and moving lights on it like pre-hong like you would see on pilot trust but you still got to hang a bunch of conventionals like I just did a show the other week where we hung uh, I think it was like 18 lusters at front of house and that took like you know, hour and a half because it was just me by, it was me and one of the guy by ourselves pulling up like a, each luster by hand and then pulling up a barrel and then pulling up a 50 degree barrel lens and having to wire everything in. And it just, it can take a long time. And it was around 3.30 in the morning and it was, we got an hour break and they had brought breakfast for us. And we all walk out of the theater and then we come, we hear a loud slam and we come back in the theater and the, the fire curtain had come crashing in on the set and I don't know if you're familiar with the fire curtains in, the, in Broadway houses um, it's this big giant heavy canvas that the minute that there's smoke there's a sensor that goes off and it immediately drops and it closes the uh, proscenium portal and it keeps all the smoke and heat and retention within the stage so it doesn't spread out to the rest of the house mm -hmm. it's incredibly heavy and it's incredibly loud and when it came in it came in at a, like at an angle. So one went all the way to the deck. The other one was sitting on top of the audio tower. So we had to get up there. Three of us had to drop ropes in to pick the weight up off the, uh, the fire curtain. So it would drop in. Hang on. <laughs> Dog. And um, 
our old senior guy climbed on the audio tower and picked it up over his shoulder so it would fall down. And we all swore to God that we thought we killed the guy when we went to go drop it. And it just, it was like one, and we got cut at like 6.30 in the morning and the, it still wasn't done. It was just like, it was one of the worst loadouts we had ever done. But yeah. the funniest part about it was I was dating a girl at the time who was learning how to rig with us. And she was on the deck and the guy that our head rigger, his name is Gary Irving. He's like notorious for just throwing out dad jokes and puns the whole night. Like it's, if he was an X-Men, that would be a superpower. Okay. So we were all miserable as hell the whole time. I'm up in the grid and she's on the ground with him dropping motors into the box. And then she gets on the radio and says, Ryan, it's two o'clock in the morning. If I got to hear one more dad joke out of him, we're breaking up. <laughs> we broke up a week later oh no <laughs> that's, not, that's not a good ending <laughs> I, I thought it was funny you got a new girlfriend now though oh yeah i'm seeing somebody pretty awesome uh we've been good. dating for close to we've been seeing each other three years we've been dating officially for two. um she's super supportive of what i do she loves it she loves being able to come to the shows and see it so she's awesome are you seeing her say too roger <laughs> just kidding <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I'm unfortunately single. Yeah. <laughs> not the unfortunate. David clearly is because he's investing all his money in fucking gear. Oh, oh no. My <laughs> my wife hates me. She she gets really pissed off every time I come home with something new. She's like, well, where is this? Oh, Amazon loves me. The amount of gear I get from Amazon. <laughs> just like really? random adapters and stuff all the time. It's just uh <laughs> so how did you two get your start so ryan i get it came up through uh being local so uh what about you we'll start with roger how did you get going roger i was a byproduct of the rave scene in like 2001 or two i was a dj who had a lighting guy and i would throw raves and put myself on the billing mostly just to book myself and i started this trend hap would happen where i'd walk up to the lighting guy and he's like hey man can you watch my board I'm like sure show me how to use it oh. this would happen over and over and over and one of those nights i just was sitting there staring at the rig and i'm like you know what this is what i want to do i've seen those award shows i've seen concerts people do this that was the first time i had any real focus in my life and basically did everything i could to get to this point you know i said okay i want to tour around with rock stars and tour buses and do their lights what was your first nationwide tour? Would have been Queensryche, Operation Minecraft 25th anniversary tour. Super cool. That's an awesome first tour. Except for it was right, like literally as the breakup was happening. Yeah. So we had the fun of having two Queensrikes, both released an album, both touring at the same time with fans who were warring with each other. Oh, geez. So that was great, you know, way to uh, get your first tour. Feel the drama behind the music. Yeah. yeah, I remember our tour manager coming in and saying, "If we see you on TMZ, you're fired." I bet. I bet. <laughs> what about you, David? What did you start off doing? Oh my gosh, I started off in uh, actual. I was doing television for a really, really long time as a videographer. Um, that's uh, one. <laughs> yeah, one day I ended up uh, getting on a lighting console to help, and completely fell in love i don't know how or why but i was like this feels right i like this a lot better than having a heavy camera on my shoulder yeah so um 
so it took me a while to convince people that um, I was switching over to lighting and not to hire me as a cameraman anymore. But um, I, I learned everything lighting and went like completely crazy and um, ended up on my first, well, I ended up in the corporate world for a while um, and then ended up on my first tour, which is not as cool as uh, his tour. Uh, it was Disney on Ice. Um, but this was back in the, the days where they didn't run time code for lighting. So it was, um, remembering all like 300 and something cues, uh, using a whole hog three, which did not, uh, have the processing power to run the show correctly. So every cue that you had to take was about a second and a half late. So you had to translate that. Yeah, it was, it wasn't fun. No, that's a <laughs> lot. Was, yeah. So was that lot. was the board I had on my first tour. Really? <laughs> yeah. That hog three is what we took out on that Queensryche tour. And yeah, you had to lead your cues by a little bit. Yeah. You had to lead all the cues by a little bit to the point where I, um, when I passed that show on, I had to um, write down like syllables to what somebody would say. I'm like, when he says the ooh to um, to this word, that's when you're going to hit the cue because if you don't, it's going to be late <laughs> and it's not going to make sense. So, um, yeah, well, it makes you kind of like irreplaceable a little bit, though, because if they get a new guy, they're going to be like, man, we really need that David dude back. <laughs> I was told uh, when I left that I was leaving them in a lurch, and I'm like, well, you know, you can pay me more. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so. I had um, a band I asked for more money, and I thought for sure they were going to give it to me, and they didn't. <laughs> don't you hate that i was so oh, bummed wow. yeah i was so i thought for sure i thought for sure it was 500 bucks a week man <laughs> nothing oh, man yeah i was i was gonna ask a band for more money and then COVID happened and two, oh, two years later the lead singer <laughs> yeah. of that band went and went back with mud thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right i totally was gonna ask for a raise for hell yeah and then now can't do that right now <laughs> No, you gotta wait. You gotta wait till they do the next <laughs> tour, and then you wait a little bit into the tour. I don't know. Uh, so when I first started this podcast, I uh, I was at my buddy's house. My buddy has a little is a daughter in fifth grade, and she said I should ask everybody when they first felt famous. And it's been a question I really do like asking. If fame is not a route that you choose to go down, totally cool. When is there a moment in your careers that you would say is a pivotal point? for directing you to where you are each now what moment would you guys pick and we can start with i'm looking to see who has the most who's ready to answer <laughs> all three of you are in thinking mode so <laughs> one of you can pipe up when you come up with something you think we're telling that's fun so you mean like a moment where we felt like we were famous or a moment you felt like we were pivotal and like kind of achieving what we wanted to do so the reason I gave you options is because rock stars hate that fucking question, dude. And it's because fame makes them look douchey. And so they don't like answering it. Stagehands are uh, roadies. A lot of the time they don't give a fuck because we don't ever get asked that. So I, I give people the option of either or 
And God, the answers, it's from this fifth grade girl. <laughs> and the answers have been amazing, man. So it can well, be whatever. I, it could be something that it's just something that comes to mind that you're proud of. You know, that it was a point in your career that was like, I'm here. Or I got, whatever I got something, but I'll, I, if, I'll let one of those two guys go first. Cool. Um, I was something. just going to say, you know, as a younger lighting guy, I always got the big PLSN magazine in the mail and looked at everybody's pictures. And for me, the first time I felt like I actually made it somewhere in the industry was the first time I saw my name printed in PLSN. I believe it for sure. I remember the magazine from when I started too. And it was really <laughs> cool to get because it's like, I still got, I still have mine downstairs from last year. Like I, I felt like, cause I grew up a, a skateboard kid. I felt like a kid who got a, a picture in Thrasher magazine or something. So I was like, so I like kept it. I still have it. And it is, it was, it's a cool underground magazine, like meant for a niche. And I think the niche totally appreciate it. It's totally like a thrasher magazine. It's the same vibe. It's fun to look through. It's cool. That's a good one. I mean, I agree. I agree with the magazine, but um, I think my moment was uh, um, I do cross fest every year, which is a deep house festival in San Diego. And it was the point where, uh audience member walked up and they're like hey dave how's everything going and i kind of gave them this look like how do you know my name (laughs) and it was and they're like we follow you like on instagram and it that's when i realized that i was getting a lot of um audience members that go to crossfest normally that we're recognizing my work and we're adding me on Instagram. We're like, Hey, this guy is really cool. Um, huh. I even have a really cool hype guy who um, shows up every year. Um, I let security know that he's going to come in. He brings me drinks in the middle of the show. He just like hypes me up. He'll stand there. He's like, hit the strobes, hit the strobes, have fun. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. This looks <laughs> great. And I'm like, this is a random guy that walked into my front of house when security wasn't looking one day and now we're really good friends what's um, his name he flies um his name is uh derek he flies in from chicago every every cross fest and just hangs out with me at front of house it's hey, go derek great <laughs> right? yeah that's cool and he knows what drinks you like oh he randomly brings me whatever he's drinking <laughs> uh, cool. all of a sudden i look over i'm like oh there's a cup here he's like that's yours have ha- have it and i'm like oh, okay half the time I'm like not sure what this is i'm gonna just put it over to the side and somebody else will drink it at some point oh <laughs> uh, yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure so i got um i have two but one is really stupid and quick and the other one is uh, my kind of moment where I felt like I kind of reached what I wanted to do. Uh, I worked for Guar for years. I grew up a Guar fan and I ended up being able to, to work with them and be friends with them and stuff. Um, and we used to do a festival every summer called the Barbecue in Richmond. And it was where the most hardcore, hardcore Guar fans would go. And we would call them Bohaps. And they know everything about everybody in the band. And I did it for four years. And I did, I was a stage manager. I was a just a regular hand. I was a spew slave and a performer during the show. Actually, I I'm going like to interrupt you because I have stuff. a question. I got one question. Yeah. Were you a Guar fan before all of this? I was. Okay. 
to me it's I still important. am i don't know I, i'm interested i think it'll help with the story so okay yeah so but it i i kind of started working with them by accident and then they invited me to come down and work from the barbecue and i became friends with them so it was kind of this nice little short-term dream coming true type deal yeah but i went to a i went to a music festival about two months after uh one barbecue and i had somebody recognize me from he was like, oh, man, you're that guy from Guar. You're the one dude who got his head coughed, and you run the, the the haunted house they had there. I saw you. I'm like, that's weird. I'm not even, like, in the band. I don't like – like, I, I'm one of those people that don't like having attention on them, like, at all, which is one of the appeals of this job. But uh, that was that was always – that was always a surreal moment because I was there with my friend. My friend's like, why is he saying he – because I'm like, I, I don't know. He's They're Bohabs. They know they're a strange breed. <laughs> but uh i got so i got into this business very when i was like really really little like i started working shows when i was in fourth grade but i got into doing this when i was in kindergarten because <clears throat> my grandparents my grandmother and my mom would take me to new york city like every december and i would get to go see like two or three broadway shows and i got exposed to theater at a young age and i knew immediately when i saw my first show i'm like I want to do that. That's what I want to do. I didn't know in what capacity yet, but that's like, that's what I wanted to do. Do you have brothers and sisters? Huh? Do you have brothers and sisters? I have two younger brothers. So the two brothers went as well, I'm assuming. And they didn't have the same. Yeah, it was it, it, as they, uh, as they got older, they would come with. So they would, they would wait probably till like they were in third, fourth grade before they would start bringing them to go with just because they, they would be old enough to be able to, I guess, kind of appreciate it. And it wouldn't be too much of a burden. Do they work in production? Um, they don't. My middle brother's a chef. My youngest is does like accounting. At so what a, do you think like that a, stood out to you more than them? Uh, just, I, I would say a part of it, it was my ADHD and being like super hyper-focused on like, that's what I want to do. Because by the time I hit fourth grade and I worked my first talent show running on a little leprechaun two channel mixer for lights, so I, was, I, was, I was like, I was like, that's what I want to do. So when I told my parents and my teachers and everybody in school, and I said, this is what I want to do for a living. They were just like, yeah, whatever. Okay, sure. You go do that. My parents were super supportive, but most people didn't think I was really going to ever do it. Yeah. I went to go see Lion King when it they, the week it opened up. Uh, in November of whatever year it opened, I forget, but I was in fourth grade. We went to go see the show. It was like the third performance in, I think. I don't even know how my parents got tickets because we're not we're not a rich family, but they got they managed to get tickets because they wanted to treat us. And I was blown away by the first act of the show. Intermission comes around. I tell I told my dad, hey, I'm gonna go use the bathroom. And he's like, okay. And I go to the bathroom. I don't actually go. I sneak backstage. And I sit on the stage right wing and I actually watch them do the changeover. Like I watch them reset the pride rock set piece. I watch them change everything over the next piece and just sitting there fascinated, just like, ah, so that's so, so fucking cool. So I don't wonder what that is. <clears throat> and the ASM spots me and she's like, are you lost? I'm like, no, parents are out there. And they, my dad's freaking out, trying to find me. And he goes and, and they eventually figure out that I'm the same kid. He comes and grabs me. He takes me backstage. I wasn't in any kind of trouble. They let me stay there and watch and, and like ask questions and stuff. And my dad was pulling me out of the seat. He said, you could have gotten stern out of here for doing that. What's wrong with you? And stuff like that. I'm like, I like that. That doesn't matter. It, I'm going to work on that show. That's what I'm going to do. Like someday in the road, I'm going to do that. 
cut to 2011 and I'm starting in the union after doing high school theater, college theater and independent theater for years, I finally get in with the union. And my first show is at our Broadway house, the Hippodrome and it's Lion King. Oh, and I was still like a C-lister at the time. So I didn't, wasn't doing the full run of it, but I, the third day of load in, we had gotten everything set up. It was just kind of like detail work, like prop work and all that kind of stuff. And then they got cut us for lunch and everybody went away for an hour. And I just sat on the same exact side of the stage that I was on when I was a kid watching it and realizing I'm actually doing this. And then four years later, I'm now a lighting guy. I'm an electrician. I'm a programmer. They had come back. They had a new version of the tour out. So they had to reprogram all their lights. And it was like a two and a half day focus because it was so much like lighting cues and stuff. Like what Dave was talking about with the Disney on Ice show having like 300 some cues. Yeah. It's that's how theater is. And it's just the stage manager has to call every single cue because it's not time coded at all. So I got to program a lot of reprogram a lot of the cues for that Lion King tour that was going to go out in the road for the next two and a half years. And to me, that was sort of a surreal moment of just like, you know, I had a lot of people tell me I wasn't ever going to make it in like doing this job or, you know, I teachers thought that because of my ADHD, I wasn't ever going to like make so it. So was that people in the industry or people not in the industry? That said I wouldn't be able to make it. Yeah. It was, it was teachers and kids I went to school with that, you know, I got, I got diagnosed with ADHD at a time where that was still relatively new. And there was mm-hmm. a lot of, yeah, same like, a lot of not, there was a lot of hesitance towards people taking it seriously. And it's, mm-hmm. it's much more accepted now, but you know, a lot of people thought that, you know, he's, he's, he can't focus on anything. He can't sit still. He can't do this. He can't do that. He'll, you know, he'll be lucky to work a job at the grocery store nearby or whatever. And, you know, I fought through a lot of shit over the years, a lot of naysayers. And, you know, I got to say, I at least set out to do something that I said I was going to do as a kid. And I had a lot of people that I come into contact with that still see me doing it. And they're like, that's awesome that, you know, you, you went for that. Yeah. So no matter what, how my career goes at this point, because I've gotten to do everything. I've, I've gotten to work with all my favorite bands. I've gotten to do all the shows I wanted, I've seen as a kid that inspired me and stuff. Like at this point, like if I ne- like if I never do another show again, I can at least say I set out and did what I want, said I wanted to do as a kid. So I can at least let my yeah. younger self be proud that he went and did it. Yeah, man, for sure. And it happened right. to be that cool. Was, that, that was that was super long. Sorry. No, that's that's totally cool. I like that one. I thought that's actually really interesting. To- I, I feel like a lot of us get told. Uh, that we will never make it in this industry did uh roger uh, did you get the same thing just I mean, wondering yeah uh honestly the first time i felt like my family or friends even actually supported stuff was covid when it was taken away they were the first ones to go it's okay you know it'll be back you'll, you'll be doing this in no time but for many 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 years up until then it was, why don't you get a real job? Why don't you get a regular job? Something with a regular paycheck. And I was like, yeah, uh, no. But it, I kept fighting and kept pushing. And it, it, it was ebb and flow. You know, sometimes the money comes in, sometimes it doesn't. But the That's long the way I work at industry. it. Keep the money, keep a bit of money. Because you don't yeah. know, you don't know. 
And that's the thing that took me a couple of years to get better at is, you know, after a few of those downtimes, you go, shit, I should be saving more. Yeah. But, uh, no, um, you know, the longer you stick with this job and the more successes you have, uh, maybe all it takes is you working for one of those bands they listened to growing up. And I know that happened with my parents. I've listened to most of the bands they grew up listening to. Sure. Um, and I don't know. I, I just, I think Ryan covered a lot of it. Yeah. I just, uh, there's a lot of people when David was saying the same thing. A lot of people tell you, you know, try to get a regular job. It's one of those things where there's more people who want the job than there are jobs available for. It's a lot like trying to be the rock star itself. A lot of people want to do it, but only a few people are going to get there. The same thing comes with being the type of techs that work alongside said rock stars or the major A-list Broadway production. Like it takes a lot of work to get to those positions, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of people, a lot of people are going to try to dissuade you along the way when you're in the hard part, because it doesn't come easy. It's going to take a lot of hard part before you get the easy part. Yeah. Yeah. What's your moment? Do you got a moment that you can think of that you would, you would share? If not, you're okay. We'll just hate you. Um, <laughs> Go ahead, Dave. I I think uh, I it took me forever to see. Uh, well, for my dad to figure out exactly what I did, um, and that was the moment where he um, sent me a, a lighting article, and he's like, "Hey, I think you uh, you'd be interested in this." And I was like, "Wait, you know what I do?" Because before that, he was sending me like uh, ads for house electricians uh just like home electricians and stuff like that uh uh, landscapers stuff he's like oh yeah you you do electric work right no (laughs) that's not what i do (laughs) like oh you do yeah you do lighting so so then he's like oh well somebody needs a light hung on their on on the side of their house can you do that that's not what i do but (laughs) you know so so when, once your family kind of figures out what you do, it's it's one of those, uh, wow, I, I've i actually kind of made it uh, moments. You're like, wow, they, they recognize that this is what my life is, you know? I would, Good. I got to agree with David on that. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate that my parents have always been very supportive of me doing it. And when I would do shows as a kid in like high school and college, they would always come and see the shows and they would never understand it. And then when I started doing a lot more of the concert work, um, I, there was a detachment, I think, from being able to talk to them about like, you know, I, we would have family gatherings and, you know, my brother He's a chef. He's an amazingly talented chef. And he has a restaurant and a bakery that he, he runs down in DC that he's like one of the head chefs at. Cool. And it's easy to talk to somebody about like food. Cause it's like, oh yeah, it's food. Everybody eats food. Everybody loves food. Everybody loves good food. Everybody loves cooking good food. So my parents can go and see, like, and just go down anytime and just have like a plate of dinner. And just, yeah, my son's like this fantastic chef. It's, it's sort of weird because like there's this weird detachment from being able to share the things that make you excited about this job. And I always was envious of my brother in a way that I, I couldn't really share that. I couldn't be like, tell my dad, like, yo, I figured I had to do this awesome Q sweep. And then my dad's like, eh, whatever. Like, I don't understand it. But then I would get them tickets to the Broadway tours that come to town. I would get my parents tickets to Wicked or Lion King or whatever. Um, I remember right before COVID, my dad's a big fan of heart. 
and they came through Merriweather, and I got him and my mom two tickets, uh, like front row tickets for Heart. And my dad got to see what I actually did during the course of the day and during the show. And he was, he, uh, he better understood it. Like he got me a job working down my other job. I'm the longshoreman at the port of Baltimore. So when I'm not doing shows, I'm like doing 12 hour shifts at the docks, like loading up container ships just to be able to pay my bills. So like, I'm, Man, we're I'm, constantly, good, bro. Dude, I'm constantly working. Wow. But I, that job I have a completely flexible schedule. So like if I get like a tour offer, I could be like, Hey, I'm not going to be here in the next like four weeks and be like, okay, let's know when you come back. Um, and he gave me that job so that I could do what I'm passionate about and have that to fall back on. And I'm grateful for that because during COVID I was lucky enough to be able to have that. So I would be working at, I would still be working every day, but it'd be a job that I wasn't really passionate about. And sometimes I don't really like doing it because it's a desk job sometimes, but like, to be able to have like my parents come out and see a show and be like, you know, when I got to, when I did the Guar show, like, my parents were like, Hey, we support you with Guar. Don't expect us to come out and see a Guar show. Cause like they would see videos of me getting my head cut off and stuff. But when, you know, I got the PLSN article about the show and there were pictures out and stuff. And then I did Lollapalooza and stuff this summer. Like my, my mom would be on Facebook sharing photos of all the stuff I did. Like she would be sharing photos of like my brother's food and stuff. And then it's like, she has something to see that she, that she can be like, this is what my son does. And this is what my other son does. So they've always been proud, but I think it's like our job sort of just kind of weird because it's not really something that can, you can be like makes sense in, in conversation. Yeah. That makes sense. I got it. Yeah. I got it. You got a moment, Roger, or are you going to pass? I don't know. I don't really have a key moment. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll pass this one. Do you guys have any uh, any shows that you've done? Any venues, I mean, that you've worked at where you're kind of like, oh my god, how the fuck are we gonna get through this? You know, where it's either a tiny venue or it's just a shit show mess. You know, churches in Russia, <laughs> just anything peculiar. For me, it was when Starnet was doing support for Shinedown, and it was that. The, the rave, the uh, eagle's nest upstairs, the ballroom. At where? And the the eagle's nest, or the, the not eagle's nest, uh, eagle's ballroom at okay. the rave. Okay. Um, so the loadout and loading for that is small elevator, which is kind of on the other side of the room from where the stage is. Starset has a buttload of production, always has. And it's pretty much impossible to tell their lead singer you want to cut the rig down. So Shinedown had a whole lot of production as well. So here we are striking that um, star set rig while Shinedown's trying to get their parts up on the stage while we're shoving this through the crowd, mind you, to a tiny elevator with a decent line of production security attempting to manage all of this uh, with those of us down in the truck kind of just looking at her watch. It's like, where's our gear? It's moving the snail's pace, but I can think of about 10 loadings exactly like that one. That one pops to mind right off the top of my head. That's a good one. <laughs> if you guys have any other ones, if not, then uh, we're good. I have to say... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, David. Be no, first. go ahead, Ryan. Go ahead, Ryan. We 
the recent Suicide Boys tour, uh, we did a date where it was in an old smelting factory in Alabama that had no stage and nowhere to hang a rig from and no acoustics. And the walls are all made of like metal and like aluminum, like metal siding. So every time the bass hit, it would just like, like reverberate the whole building and shake loudly. And it was the most bizarre venue space I'd ever been in because it wasn't a venue, but I, it ended up working out pretty well because the show looked awesome. But it was, it was such a weird thing to pull up in the bus and be like, do we have a green room? Like there's a table over there on the other side of the, uh, the smelter. Um, so that was, that was a strange experience for me. Yeah. That's a different venue, uh, a different gig for sure. <laughs> it's like any European tour where you're doing a club tour, all those rooms are all terrible. None of them should have shows, but we all do it. And I remember this one, I feel like it was in Germany, like a few blocks away from what was left of the Berlin Wall, in fact. But uh, <laughs> there was a five foot wide, and I'm not kidding on the size, five foot wide pillar just about eight feet in front of the lighting position, you literally could not see the stage. You can see far stage left and far stage right. The center of the stage was completely obstructed by this pillar. And this is their normal front of house position. You know, I, again, I can think of a dozen places just like that, though. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty good. <laughs> Man, we played Avant Gardner uh, with Slander uh, on the iTour um, while they were still constructing their their new grid so we get there and this this has not been told to any of the tour staff except for you know the the tour manager who decided not to pass on any information to us and we get there and they're like yeah so so these guys these extra guys are here to uh build a mother grid because there's nowhere for you to actually hang your your grid off of your truss off of, and we're like, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> we're like, this is a, we're doing three shows here tonight. Like, how how much time do you need to build this thing? And they're like, oh well, we're not exactly sure because we have to bring in a structural engineer to tell us exactly where we can hang this grid off of as well. Wow. So it was a full like day of us standing around going. So is this show going to happen? Like, is this going to work? What's going on? Does anybody know? I, I don't think we started our, our normal load in until about 5 p.m. that, that afternoon. It was, <laughs> it was crazy and a lot of like running around, a lot of yelling at each other. Like, this needs to be up now. Like, we have like two hours till show. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But you made it? We, we made it. We don't know how. Um, yeah, for a three show night where we, we finished and loaded out around four or 5 a.m. and then drove straight to the next venue. Yeah, it, it was not fun. EDM tours aren't the, the, the funnest. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for it. And, uh, I hope you guys have a good weekend and whatnot. And Ryan, I hope it works out good with your lady. David, I hope you buy a shitload of equipment and hire all of us, bro. <laughs> and Roger, get that raise, man, on that next fucking tour. <laughs> Thanks for watching. 
Don't forget to like and subscribe by clicking the round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or the guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle's Joel Rody. And don't forget, when you party like a rock star, don't be a dick. <laughs>